All right, thanks, Tina. Morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here this morning. We are on our third and uh, final week of a series that we've been doing called Dangerous Prayers. And what we've said throughout the series is that I think by default, I know I do this anyway, maybe you do too. I think by default, we tend to stumble into really safe kinds of prayers, really uh, kind of easy kind of prayers. We tend to pray about things like, you know, for safety for us. When, you, when you're taking a trip or something, what do you pray for? You pray for safe travels and you pray for that your kids would be safe when they go to school. We pray for those kind of things. And those are good things. We pray for, uh, you know, safe kinds of things. We pray about uh, promotions. We pray for good grades. We pray for raises. We pray for comfort. We pray for peace. We pray for all those kinds of things. And God makes it really clear. He loves to hear the voices of his kids calling out to him. And so those are all really good prayers. But what we said is, is uh, kind of by default, we tend to, to slide in that direction. Just give us a good day. Just make it an easy day. Make it a, you know, no kind of no waves, no ripples. And we said, boy, if God answered all of those prayers, what we've been talking about throughout the series, I'm not sure... I'm not sure that we would trust him. I'm not sure that we would seek him. I'm not sure that we would really be growing. I'm not sure that that this world would look all that much more like his kingdom than it would just be like a little bit easier for us, if that makes sense. And we said, boy, so often when we pray those kind of prayers, they're good. He loves to hear us, but they don't always line up with what God's plans are. They don't always line up with God's agenda and his plans and his purposes in this world. And so we, for three weeks, we've been saying, we're going to take some, some scripture. We're going to take some uh, prayers kind of from the Bible, and we're going to zoom in on those and say, what if we prayed the kind of prayers that God invites us to pray? And so the first week we talked about the whole the whole prayer, it's straight from the Psalms, where it says, search my heart, God, search me, we said. And we kind of dug into that whole passage and said, it's a, it's a dangerous prayer because it's inviting the gaze of the perfect, all-knowing God to zoom in on us. And it's an invitation for, for him to point out that anything that's off in our lives, anything that's sinful, anything that's not quite as it, as it should be. And we, we said, you know, come with hearts wide open saying, search me, point out anything that's off. I'll confess it so that I can be free and then align me and lead me so that I can follow. So that's a dangerous prayer, but boy, that could be such a transformational, such a good prayer for us. Last week I said would be the least favorite week uh, that we talked about. And we talked about the prayer, break me. God, we said, boy, we are, in, we are a people that we like to be strong. We like to be in charge and in control and all that kind of stuff. We said the only problem is that the Bible paints a picture of exactly the opposite, right? That says God is the strong one. God is the all-knowing one. God is the one that's in charge and in control and all that kind of stuff. And we said the way our lives work best as if it is when we recognize that, realize that when we bow our knee before him and we say, God, would you break me so that your power and your strength and your good plans can move forward. Break me so that I can learn to trust you. Break me so that I can find healing. Break me so that I can become more like you. A dangerous prayer, a humbling prayer. I've been praying it this week and it has not been an easy week for me, (laughs) but it's been good. It's brought me to my knees again and again and again. And we said, man, that's how life works best. We're going to wrap up the series this week, and this one's going to be a little more fun. It'll be a little bit better, a little bit more fun than the prayer that we prayed last week. But uh, this week, we're going to talk about and look at and, and start praying the prayer, God, use me 
right? Send me, use me. I surrender to you. Lead and direct me and have your way. Live your life through me. Would you use me for your purposes? I am yours. It's going to be a lot more fun. (laughs) But at the same time, it, it is a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer that requires us to trust God. It's a prayer that will oftentimes lead us past our comfort zones, but will but will put us on the roller coaster with God, on the journey with God, on this adventure with God, where we'll get to see him do mighty things in our midst, where he'll be glorified and his kingdom will come and his plans will prevail and we'll get to be a tiny bit of a part of it. And there's nothing better. And so that's where we're going. The application has been the same every week. We've said, hey, would you take this prayer And would you pray it right this week? Would you pray it today? And would you pray it tomorrow before your feet hit the floor? Would you open up your heart and pray this prayer? God, would you use me today for your purposes? Would you send me where you want me to go? Would you kind of live your life through me today? And so that's going to be the application Uh, today it's been the application sort of every week. It's not necessarily a safe prayer, but man, it's a good one. And so that's where we're going today. I read a book this week, uh, called pivotal praying. It's by, a a, um, a guy by the name of John Hull, who I think kind of talks about this whole, uh, this whole idea of what we've been talking about. And he kind of breaks up the different ways we pray into what he calls three different kind of levels or three different kinds of prayer that we typically pray. The first one he calls logistical prayer, (coughs) excuse me. And he says, uh, logistical prayer is prayer that kind of focuses in on our own personal needs and it's prayed from our own kind of temporary kind of perspective. The second one uh, he says is he refers to as uh, tactical prayer. And he said, that's, that's more focused on helping others, but it's still some, from sort of our own temporary sort of perspective. And the third one he refers to as a strategic uh, prayer and that one he says is, is it's, a, it's altogether different. It's kind of backed up and it's through the lens of God. It's from God's ultimate objective, praying for his eternal purposes to be realized in our lives and in the world around us. It sort of captures his heart and his purposes rather than human perspective. Those are dangerous kinds of prayers. Let me give you an example. Uh, if, if we're talking about work stuff, let's say that you really want to pray for what's going on at work. The first kind of prayer, the logistical prayer, uh, if we were praying from that kind of perspective, we might pray something like this. God, I pray uh, that, you know, help, help me to do a good job at work today. I pray that you'd be with me today. I pray that, you know, the meeting would go well, that I'd be able to present well, that I could get a good review today uh, on my, you know, on my evaluation. You know, I just pray that I could have a great day. In Jesus' name, amen. Is that a good prayer? Sure it is, right? It's a good prayer. That's a, I, I pray those kind of prayers, and so do you, right? We pray those kind of prayers all the time. It's a good prayer, uh, but that's, that's kind of like the first one, the logistical prayer. The second one, the tactical prayer, would be kind of praying for others, and so it might be something like this if you're praying about work. God, I pray that our team would do well today at work. I pray that you'd really help bring us together and that we might work well together, that my boss would have wisdom in order to be effective and efficient. And God, I pray for Jimmy and Joe that are attending the seminar today. Lord, I pray that that you would just meet them there and uh, that they could just learn a lot and have, a, you know, have an amazing experience. In Jesus' name, amen. Is that a good prayer? Catch it on, right? Yeah, of course, that's a good prayer. It's a good, I pray that way and so do you. We pray for other things from our own sort of temporary perspective and that's good. And yet, 
so often those first two, again, there's just ways in which they don't always completely line up with what God's perspective might be on this. And so let me give you an example of the strategic prayer, sort of the third category, the broader, more dangerous prayer of what it might look like to pray uh, Uh, that kind of prayer about your work situation. It might go something like this. Lord, would you use me for your purposes today? May you be seen in all I say and do. God, would you use me and the other followers of Jesus in our workplace to, to impact those around me and to see your kingdom come in a powerful way? Regardless of how my meeting goes today and how, how things play out, Would you work in a way that brings you honor and glory, that advances your cause and your purposes in my life and in this world? Lord, I pray for those that don't yet know you. I pray that you would be revealing yourself to them and drawing them near. I pray that their hearts would be open and receptive. I pray specifically for Jim, Lord. Would you open the door of opportunity? Would you open up his heart today and and open the door of opportunity that I might be able to speak or say a word or point him in your direction, God? Use this day. Use me. Use us to bring your kingdom more fully. May your will be done. And would you fill me and fill... uh, uh, other Christ followers with your, a sense of your presence today, we pray in Jesus' name. You guys see the difference, right? It's sort of a broader kind of perspective. It's a submitting, it's a, it's a yielding, it's a dangerous prayer, but one that aligns a lot more closely probably with God's heart, with God's word, and with God's will. It's powerful, and God will answer those kinds of prayers that, are, that line up with his overall objectives and purposes and plans. I ran across this quote this week. I can't tell you exactly who it's from. It's partially from Martin Luther and then different people have kind of added on to it. But I thought this was great. It says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is laying hold of God's will. Find out what God wants and pray for that. Prayer is not sending God to run your errands. Prayer is submitting to the purposes of God. It produces boldness in us. So the question that I have this week is, so what if you and I started praying that way, started praying those things that we, we recognize are God's plans and God's priorities for our world? What if we started praying these kinds of dangerous prayers? What if a significant portion of our prayer time wasn't focused just solely on my plans? Wasn't focused even just on the here and now in my own little perspective and world. But what if increasingly we start spending more and more and more time praying for God's plans to be realized and God's purposes to prevail and for God to live those out through me and in me and impact the world in any way that I can? What if we started aligning ourselves with his plans and purposes and praying for those things, praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done like Jesus taught us to pray? What if we started praying that we could get on board with him? God, lead me. God, direct me. God, use me. God, send me. I am yours. I think it's a dangerous prayer because you never know what the living God will do when you start praying those kind of prayers. I mean, God could direct you in a whole bunch of different ways, couldn't he? 
He has. He's, he's directed me in a whole bunch of different ways. He's directed many of you in all kinds of unbelievable ways. He'll take you beyond your comfort zone. You never know what he's going to do. He might prompt you to give some money to someplace, somebody or so, you know, some ministry or somebody, somebody that's a need that you would never do on your own. He might, he might nudge you to serve in some ministry that's beyond your comfort zone. He might, he might nudge you to start something. You just don't know. He might, nudge, he might nudge you to start building a relationship with somebody that's far from God that isn't really in your little social, you know, structure, your little social circle. He might nudge you, in fact, he probably will, to walk across a room and befriend people and love on somebody that's way different from you. You never know what the living God will do as you and I start to submit ourselves and humble ourselves and open ourselves up and start praying, God, would you use me? Would you send me for your purposes and according to your plans and for your glory? You never know what he's going to do. You know, throughout the Bible, uh, we see God calling to people. You see it over and over and over. God directing people, God prompting them and nudging them and orchestrating the events of their lives. And he leads them to go somewhere or to do something. He starts uh, encouraging them to share the truth with a particular group of people or all kinds of things. And typically, as uh, Craig Rochelle points out, he says this, he says, people typically have three different responses. And it's true. The first kind of response when God nudges somebody or God speaks to somebody or God directs them, the first response is this. Why don't you pull that up? It says, I'm not going, right? It's sort of the Jonah principle. It's the cross your arms, the, you know, I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. You remember the whole Jonah story, uh, Jonah 1, 1 through 3, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because the wick- their wickedness has come up before me. But what does that say? But Jonah ran away from the Lord. What does he say? He says, no, I'm not going. None of us have ever had that kind of experience, right? Man, I think, I think all of us have been there, right? I mean, I was, I was thinking this week about a particular time that I, I can so clearly remember. I was, it was right after uh, college for me. Uh, I had moved and was doing ministry at a church near Rockford, Illinois. So I was, I was living there and I was in my car and I was driving into Rockford. I was on the little interstate there, whatever it was. And, uh, and I went by, I saw this guy on the side of the road. I'm driving up and I have this unmistakable sense, like it's a hitchhiker, a homeless guy probably. And this unmistakable sense that I needed to stop and pull over and pick the guy up. And I, my heart starts racing, right? My blood pressure's going up. I start thinking about every, um, like, you know, mass murderer that's ever been, you know, on the planet <laughs> that, that is at one time or another hitchhiked and fear starts welling up in me. And I start thinking, oh my gosh, what if I do this? And the guy, all these things. And so all these things are popping through my brain and I'm driving and I drive right by him. And I drive by him and I think, well... You know, I, I think my heart was really, I wanted to pick the guy up. I wanted to obey God, but I just didn't have time, right? I mean, there's just too much and whatever. By now, I can't turn around. He probably wouldn't even be there. I'm kind of, this whole thing is going on in my head. And so I kind of justified and rationalized, right, my, my actions and thought, oh, it's fine. You know, it was a God prompting, but it wasn't my fault and all this kind of stuff. And there was a second guy. I kid you not, another guy, like two miles up the road, I'm driving. And again, I have this unmistakable sense of like, you got to 
pull over and pick this guy up. And I think it was God. And again, my heart starts racing. And I thought, well, uh, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm driving. He's getting closer and closer. I'm like, I should stop. You know, I'm thinking, I think I want to stop. And, and, and all this, and I blew right by him too. And I'm like, it was, God was just making it abundantly clear. No, I was just hard-hearted, right? I was just saying, no, I'm not going. I'm not doing it. I don't care what you say or do. It's something that I have to say I've regretted ever since. I've, I, that thing comes up every once in a while. I just think, I wonder what God would have done if I would have been willing to stop. Who knows what plans he had in store for that guy, for me, for whatever. Who knows? Now, I'm not saying that you need to stop for every hitchhiker you see. I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying, like, I had a real strong sense that it was God. And I, I was like Jonah in that moment. And I said, I'm not going. That's one of our responses. The second one, he says, he says, send somebody else, right? This is the, the classic Moses sort of story. God, I'm not worthy. I'm not up for it. I'm not strong enough, smart enough. I'm not a good enough speaker. I'm not rich enough. I'm not whatever. There's all kinds of reasons I have of why I'm the wrong person. Send someone else. And you can remember the story. God speaks to Moses. He says, Moses, here's the deal. I'm going to take you before Pharaoh. I'm going to use you to set my people free. The people of Israel were living as slaves in Egypt he was going to use Moses to set them free. And Moses starts going through the list. He starts saying, God, I'm not a good speaker. And God said, who gave you your mouth, right? Who puts words in them? Don't you think I'm able to equip you? And finally he says, God, send someone else. You've got the wrong man. Now we never do that, do we? I think that's an easy one for us to fall into as well. God prompts us to give money. And we say, well, you know what? I don't have that much money, God. Maybe you should prompt them. Maybe, that, maybe they should go because they've got more. Or God starts prompting you about serving someplace. You're like, well, I'm busy. I've got too much going on. You should choose somebody that's retired, right? You should choose somebody, maybe a young single person. Maybe you should choose a young mom because they don't have anything to do, right? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I'm totally, but right, I mean, we start all kinds of excuses. You've got the wrong man. You've got the wrong woman. Send someone else. We do it all the time. And yet when we do, we miss out. We miss out on what God wants to do. Oh man, how, how often have we fallen into that trap? But the third response, I think, the third response is the good one, right? This is the one that we want to focus in on today. Uh, and it comes from Isaiah. God speaks to Isaiah. He calls to him. And this is Isaiah's response. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, God, send me. Send me. He's praying the prayer. God, send me. God, use me. God, have your way in me. I want to I be used for your purposes and for your glory and for your plans. Isaiah here is sort of writing a blank check to God. He's not clarifying all the details. He's not saying, okay, God, well, now let's, let's get the specifics going. Where exactly are you sending me? Where am I needed? Is that like a, in a warm climate? I mean, is that some, you know, someplace nice? Maybe Florida? Is that, is that kind of the deal? Is, is, is that what he's saying? He doesn't, he doesn't clarify. Is this going to be like an advancement kind of thing? Is there more money in it for me? What's, what are the benefits like? Do I get vacation time with that? Is that? He doesn't clarify anything. He sort of writes a blank check and he says, God, I'm yours. Send me. 
anywhere, any time, right? Anything. God, you say the word, I'm there. Here I am, he says, send me. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I'm in. And that's a dangerous prayer. That's the thing we want to focus in on today. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage me this week to start praying that prayer every day, to start having a heart like that of Isaiah that says, God, I'm in. Would you use me for your purposes today? Would you lead me according to your plans mentioned last week. I've mentioned it a bunch of times before. One of my heroes of the faith, Bill Bright, uh, I've talked about him before. Uh, he, uh, I, I, but I remember he's a guy, he started uh, Campus Crusade for Christ known as Crew uh, through projects like the Jesus film, through the tracks in the day, right? The four spiritual laws. He's, and through his staff, they'd shared the gospel four billion times during his lifetime. Four billion times. They have 150 million people that had made faith commitments that they know of through their ministry. He's a significant player, probably a guy used uh, as much as almost anybody else uh, in uh, the 20th century. Amazing man, godly man. I remember hearing him speak one time, maybe a year or two before he died, and uh, he was receiving the Lifetime Achievement Award. And uh, it was at a, a conference, and John Maxwell was there, and a bunch of other sort of Christian leaders. And these guys all got up front, and they are singing his praises, man. I mean, they are they are talking about the amazing ways that God has used them, the, the huge ministry that has been built. They're talking about all this kind of stuff, and sort of, you know, I won't say puffing him up, but I mean, it's a lifetime achievement award. They're talking about everything that God has done through him over the years. And um, they finally, it was time for him to actually come up, Bill Bright, to come up and sort of receive the award. And he came up front and he shook the hands. He got the thing. He said, he stepped up to the mic and said, yeah, but you forgot one thing. He's like, all that stuff. And he said, and then you, you just need to add on to that. And a slave of Jesus Christ he said, a servant is not, worth the, you know, is not worth anything, but the one that he serves is worth everything. And he want, went on to, to talk to this entire room, thousands of people in the room. He said, you know what has made all the difference for me? He said, when I was a young man, I actually uh, had an encounter with God, and I wrote out a contract. And I said, you know, from this point forward, I'm going to live my life as a slave of Jesus Christ, as a servant of Jesus Christ. He said, every day from that moment forward, before I got out of bed, before my heat, feet would hit the floor, I would roll out onto my knees and I would start every day by opening up my hands and my heart and saying, God, would you use me today? I am your servant. You are the master. So would you lead and use me as you see fit? If there's somebody that needs to be loved, God, would you love them through me? If there's somebody that you want me to serve, would you serve them through me? If there's, if, if there's somebody that is in need of Jesus, would you tell them through me? God, I am your servant. Use me today, moment by moment by moment. Keep me in step with you and use me for your purposes today. He prayed that prayer every day of his life until the day he died. And I have to tell you, his story, the ways God used him, unbelievable. I find myself wondering, how would God work through you and through me? What would God do in our lives? What stories would there be in our lives if you and I started praying every day before our feet hit the floor, if we started opening up our hands and hearts and saying, God, would you use me for your purposes today?
I trust you. I'm your kid. I want to follow you. I want to know you more. So would you use me for your purposes? Would you come and and fill me up and live your life through me today? I need you. That's the good stuff. That's That's where life is at. Friends, this prayer is a game changer. There are some of us here this morning, probably all of us here this morning, that need to make that kind of commitment. They need to start praying that kind of prayer. God, I'll serve wherever, whenever, whomever. I am yours. Use me for your purposes. You know, we spend so much of our time and days and weeks and months and years spending our lives on stuff that is all about us, all about me. When really the good stuff about life, the stuff that matters, is when we make our lives all about him. Use me, God, and I'll follow. When you and I make that kind of commitment, we start praying those kinds of prayers, and we start making ourselves available to God like that, to be his men and his women, his servants. You and I are in for the ride of our lives. Christ will lead you. He'll open doors of opportunity like we can't even imagine. He'll bless you. He'll use you. He'll create opportunities. Man, there is nothing better. It's the life that you and I are born for. It's a life of surrender. It's a life that involves trusting God and joining him on the adventures that he has for you. But it begins by, by, by praying a prayer and submitting to him and saying, God, would you use me? Would you send me? I am yours. Feel free to interrupt me, God. If you want me to go somewhere, I'll go. If you want me to stay, I'll stay. If you want me to say something, I'll say something. If you want me to be quiet, I'll shut up and pray. Have your way in me. Use me. Send me. I think the next question that I I find myself asking is, that's good, but what happens in moments and in times and in seasons where I'm not really wanting that, where I'm not really experiencing that, where I'm not really, maybe my heart isn't really aligned to that. And I just want to take just a a couple minutes here as as we kind of wrap up. I want to zoom back in the story of Isaiah before he prays that prayer, right? Before he gets to the point of saying, here am I, God, send me. What happens that leads him up to that point? So let's just zero in. We're going to, three little things quickly uh, before we go there. We're going to jump back to Isaiah chapter six, starting with verse one. It says, It says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces because God is too holy to look at. With two, they covered their feet, symbolizing we're, you know, we're unclean, kind of covering up our, our feet. And with two, they were flying and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Well, you know what's happening here? Isaiah encountered God, didn't he? This is a picture of the presence of God. It's real similar to what we read in the book of Revelations. Very similar. I saw the Lord. I saw God, Isaiah says. It was crazy. There were these angels flying around, he's saying, and they were proclaiming to one another, they're proclaiming, God is so holy. He's so 
perfect. He is without sin. He is unlike any other. He's amazing. That's what these, these angels are flying around him, proclaiming this moment after moment after moment, saying, God is amazing. So Isaiah's eyes have been opened, and he's getting a glimpse, an, an encounter with the living God. It's an amazing moment. And it changed everything. Everything from this moment forward changes for Isaiah. And that's where everything begins. Surrender, hearing from God, having a sense of call being used by him, discovering your purpose in life, stepping into the adventure that God has for you. It all begins with a fresh experience with the living God. If you're struggling to follow, if you have a hard time surrendering, if you're not hearing from God, if you need direction for your life, it always begins here. It always begins with an encounter with God. It all begins here. It's one of the reasons that I regularly schedule kind of retreat days. It's something I do about every other month or so. I schedule an entire day where I can go away and I can just meet with God. You want to know why? First of all, because I crave it and I need it. And I, I spend the day just praying and reading God's book, lifting, lifting you guys up, praying for the church, praying for the mission of Jesus in this region, praying for God to send out others into the harvest fields, praying for all kinds of things. But it's also, it's where all the best ideas come from. It's where all, every sense of call I've ever had, every great message series, every good ministry move there's ever been. It all comes from moments like this. It all comes when you have an encounter with God and God speaks. Oftentimes I'll come home and I'll have several pages of stuff written out that I feel like God's spoken to me about. If you want to hear from God more, set aside some time to meet with him and pursue him. It's, it's the, I mean, even when I think back at our own story on what led us to start a church here in Peoria, it comes back to an experience with God. In fact, two different experiences. One of them was intentional, a time when uh, I went away and I was seeking God and felt like God spoke about us starting another church. And so that led us through a journey of trying to, to uh, come down here and check stuff out. And I didn't really even, I mean, I'm from the region, but I hadn't been in Peoria in years, and so came down and started visiting, started meeting some people, started talking, started praying more, and uh, Tina and I started praying, but there was a second moment, and I'll never forget it, when it was, it was kind of coming down to crunch time, when we had to make a decision, were we going to leave the church uh, that we had started and served in, uh, st- served in for 14 years up in Wisconsin? We loved those people. We loved, you know, we, it was our home. It's the only home and the only church our kids had ever known. Were we going to leave or were we going to stay? And uh, so we were really praying over that. I remember one day in particular, I was driving to Green Bay and I, like I said, it was kind of, the pressure was kind of on. We needed to make a decision and I started praying and I started seeking God on the deal and I never forget I was outside uh, just outside Green Bay kind of turning in and uh, you know God's city where God speaks <laughs> just kidding but uh, and uh, and I had this overwhelming sense that God was there and I had this uh, I mean it's sounds weird I can't really explain it but it was sort of just this peace and this joy and even kind of light or something I don't know and just a real sense that God was speaking he said I'm asking you I'm calling you to go and my, my first response is, okay, God, but you got to tell Tina, right? <laughs> like, I'm not telling her, you know, kind of, you, you got to get her on the same page because this kind of thing. And I just, it was an, it was an amazing, I had this encounter with God and I, it was so great. I kind of drove around for a while. I didn't want to leave, right? I mean, kind of kept driving around and I'm circling the city and all this kind of stuff. Cause I just, I, I just recognized God's presence was there. 
It doesn't have to be in a car. It doesn't have to be in a cabin. It can be anywhere at any time. But as, as we turn our hearts and our gazes towards God, as we start crying out to him, in fact, the Bible says, man, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. As we start drawing near to him, he, he reveals himself to us. He speaks, he directs, he leads, right? And you never know what he's going to do. But this is where all the good stuff always starts. It's where it begins with a fresh experience, a fresh encounter with the living God. There may be, you may be sitting here today and say, I've never really had that before. I've never really experienced God like that or had him speak to me like that. You know, maybe, maybe one of your takeaways from today is to take that verse I just mentioned. It's from James, by the way. It says, boy, if you, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Maybe you need to go home and start cracking open this book and getting down on your knees and start praying and saying, God, I want to see you. I want to know you. You start seeking him and then you wait for the living God to speak through his word, through his spirit. You never know what God's going to do when you start praying, when you start seeking him and start moving towards him. But before, right, before we can get over here to here am I, God, send me. It starts, it begins with a fresh encounter with the living God, experience with him. Let's go on. Second thing, he says this, uh, verse four, says at the sound of their voices as they're proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the, thresh, the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. It's a, again, it's a sign of God's uh, manifest presence. And Isaiah says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah sees the Lord and the very next thing he notices after he gets a glimpse of how awesome God is, as he gets a glimpse of God's presence, the very next thing he notices is he's like, woe to me, I'm a wreck. I am a sinful man. My lips are unclean and I live among a people that are unclean. We are unworthy. He gets a picture of the perfectness of God, the vastness of God, the goodness of God, the perfect nature of God. And he says, wow, I'm sinful. I'm a wreck. I am needy. I need to be cleansed. I need to be forgiven. There is sin in me. There is darkness in me. There is junk in me that needs to be exposed and expunged, right? that needs to be taken away out of my life. And he confesses it to God. So we, what we talked about last week, what we've been talking about for several weeks, it's a brokenness, right? It's a recognition of his own sin and junk. And he cries out to God and says, I'm guilty, right? I am guilty as charged. He confesses his sins so that he can be forgiven and freed. And that's where we go next. That takes us to the next part. Verse six says this. He confesses that sin. And then this happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said this, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. 
So what happens next? After he's aware of and he confesses his sins, he receives forgiveness and grace afresh. There's an overwhelming sense that God has completely removed his sin and taken away his guilt. It's undeserved grace and mercy from God. With one touch from the goodness of God, his sins are forgiven and completely wiped out. His sins are gone. They, they are gone as far as the east is from the west. God has removed that sin. God has removed that guilt. I mean, can you imagine this? Think about it for a second. Your lying lips have been touched and cleansed. It's forgiven. Every word that you have said in anger and hatred, and oh, it's gone. Your lustful attitude, forgiven. Every secret sin you've ever committed is gone. Your self-centeredness, forgiven. Your anger, your rage, gone. Every sin, known or unknown, is forgiven, just as if it had never happened. It's grace. It's a picture of grace. It's the same grace that is available to you and to me, to every person on the planet. It's, it's poured out to us through Jesus, through his life, through his death on the cross for our sins, and through his resurrection. It's available to every person who would simply turn to him in faith and cry out, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and would you cleanse me? I am a sinner. I am guilty. When we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us. He'll take away our unrighteousness. It's an amazing picture. When you understand and you receive God's grace like that, it changes everything. When you recognize that you don't bring anything to the table, but Jesus brings everything to the table. When you sense God's presence, when you're aware of your sin and you confess it to God, and then you receive his grace, his undeserved grace afresh, and he makes you new, and he washes away that junk, and he takes away your sin. You want to know what the only real response is from that, from that moment forward? You want to know what the only real and reasonable response is to that kind of unbelievable grace and love and forgiveness of a Savior that would die for you? The only real response is this. God, I am yours. Here I am, God. Send me. Use me. You have saved me. You have died for me. You have cleansed me. You have forgiven me. You have filled me. You have given life to my lungs. You have made me new again. I am yours. That's the fourth one, right? That's, that's, where, we, that's where it all started. Here I am, God. I'm available. Everything I have, I have received from you. Everything good in my life is from you. So, so send me, use me for your purposes, for your plans. I am yours. It's not my life. It's not about my desires. I'm all in. Anywhere, anytime, anything, lead, and I'll follow. I find myself wondering what would the living God do with us as we start praying those kinds of prayers? Not just prayers focused on just me and mine, not just even me praying for those people around me that I like, but what if I started praying those big prayers that align with God's heart? God, I want, to, I want my entire life to be about you. 
So would you lead me and guide me and use me? If there is somebody that needs to hear about Jesus, tell them through me. If there's somebody that needs to be loved, love them through me. If there's somebody that needs to be, you, know, I, you need somebody to stoop down and serve them and wash their, their feet, I'll do it. I'm in. Just give me the directions and I'll go. It's a blank check. I am yours. What would God do? What could God do? with college students and with managers and with workers, with doctors, with nurses? What could God do with you? What could God do with me if we were to say, I'm in, God. Use me for your purposes and then follow his lead. Could change the world, could change lives. One final story, I'll be done, I promise. And so I read uh, a story, was reminded about a story that I had heard one time of, of a cop who had, again, uh, he had come to Christ. He'd walked through this process almost to a T. He'd had an experience with God, oh, and it transformed him, right? He, he was aware of a sin. He confessed it. He received God's grace, and God made him new. And so his natural next step was he started praying and started asking God and started processing with him, how can I live for you, right? What, use me, he started praying, but he's like, how can I live for you? I'm a cop. I spend my day giving tickets and arresting people, right? God, how could you possibly use someone like me, right, in, in the midst of that? And yet he started praying this prayer. God, every day when he got up, he started praying, God, would you use me somehow? I don't, in some way, would you use me for your purposes today? I am yours. So one morning he got up, he prayed that prayer, he went out the door, uh, you know, clocked in or whatever it is the cops do, I don't know how, when they start their day, and uh, his first call he got, there was some uh, person that was swerving all over the road, driving pretty erratically, and so he flips on the lights, he pulls him over, and, uh, and he, walk, he, he gets out of the car, starts walking up, is doing his little thing, puts his hand on his gun, right, starts walking up to the car, and as he's walking up, he has this little nudge, this little prompting from God that says, show this woman some some grace. It's like, what? He wasn't like an audible voice or anything, but he just had this, this gut, the sense in his gut that he was supposed to show this woman some grace. And so he, he walks up, uh, to the car, motions for her to roll down the window and he's all business as usual. He's like, uh, license and registration. And this woman is like, great. She's like, it doesn't matter anyway. It doesn't matter. And so uh, he's like, he takes her driver's license and registration. She said, I'm going to have to write, write you up for reckless driving. She said, it doesn't matter. I'm ending it all anyway. And he goes and starts writing up the, the ticket. And he has that sense in his gut once again, like you need to show her some grace. And he ends up stopping and pausing. It's like, okay. And so he says, ma'am, he's like, I don't usually do this kind of thing. In fact, I've never done it before. He's like, but I have this unmistakable sense that I'm supposed to tell you that God loves you, that you are not alone, and that there's forgiveness and new life available for you. And he said, and I feel like I'm supposed to do this. And he takes the ticket, he rips it out, he rips it up, and he says, have a good day. And he walks back to his car, gets in, drives on. Two years later, he uh, is working again, praying the same prayer that day. He... Uh, has to find somebody going a little bit over the speed limit. He flips on the lights, just a routine traffic stop, that kind of a thing. And uh, as he pulls uh, this car over and he steps out, uh, this woman 
jumps out of the car, starts running towards him. He's reaching for his gun, right? I mean, like this kind of thing. But she's screaming at the top of her lungs, it's you, it's you, I can't believe it's you. And he recognizes her. It's the same woman that he had, he had ripped up the ticket with some two years earlier. And she, she comes over to him and she's beaming, right? She grabs his arm and starts dragging it, dragging him back to her car. And she motions to a car seat in the back and, uh, and, and she gestures in her direction. She says, this is Molly. I want you to meet Molly. Molly is like God's grace to me. Two years ago, she says, when you pulled me over, I had just found out that I was pregnant. And when I told my parents, they kicked me out of the house. She said, I was devastated. She said, I decided that I was just going to go and kill myself. I was going to drive off a bridge and end it all. And then you pulled me over and I thought, great. It just can't get any worse. She said, but then you ripped up my ticket. And she said, and then you told me that God loved me and that there was forgiveness and new life just waiting for me. And it reminded me of my grandmother who was also a Christ follower. And I had this nudge like maybe I should go and, and see if I could stay with her. And she said, I did. And, and, a, and a few months later, I opened up my heart and I gave my life to Jesus. She said, my whole life has changed. And she said, and I just want you to know that Molly and I are here today. And I want you to I want you to know that God used you to save my life. Isn't that a great story? I wonder what the living God has in store for you. If you and I would simply open up our hands, open up our hearts in surrender and start praying the prayer, God, use me, lead me, direct me for your plans and for your purposes. And then doing what he tells us to do. Imagine what God would do. Let's close in prayer. Father, that's our cry this morning. And that's, um, that's my prayer. And that's, I think, our prayer, most of us, God, anyway. We just want to open up our hands and our hearts to you. And we just pray, God, use us. Would you lead us and direct us? Lord, we just say with Isaiah, here I am, God. Send me, use me for your plans and purposes. God, this week I pray that you would nudge us, that you would remind us day by day and moment by moment just to continue to be praying that prayer. And Lord, I pray that that we would see you do amazing things, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. I pray that your good and eternal purposes would be lived out in us, that people would meet Jesus. We pray, God, that you would use us to make a difference for the poor around us. I pray that you'd use us as instruments, your instruments, your tools, your lights to bring about reconciliation and healing in a world that desperately needs us. Needs you, Jesus, needs it. I pray, God, that your... um, I don't know, that your church would arise as we follow you, as we surrender to you. Not just ignite, but of course ignite, but the church in the reason that your in the, in the region, that your glory would be seen. That your purposes would prevail, that, that more and more the city of Peoria and this whole region would look more like your kingdom and less like us, less like our junk, less like the the stuff that plagues us. Would you redeem and restore through us, God? Would you 
would you do a mighty work? We are yours. We are dependent on you. We look to you. And we need you. Have your way, God. We love you. We offer ourselves to you afresh in Jesus' name.